the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 122, recorded Sunday, December 22nd, 2013. The best of 2013. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. Welcome to AV Week's annual look back at the year. Uh, this is the 2013 edition, uh, what we call the best, and this is the most requested, uh, the most emailed, the most downloaded, uh, the best of what we've done this past uh, 12 months. The first segment we have is from episode 93. It was called The CEO Show, uh, mainly because we had three CEOs on Ron Callis from One Firefly, Paul Harris from Aurora Multimedia, and Doug Fast from NYCE, Nice Control. Uh, we started out the show actually talking about uh, something that was brand new. Uh, it was breaking news, as it were. Uh, Ron Callis of One Firefly talking about uh, the introduction of the IMAX home theater system. You know what? In the world of AV, we don't get a whole lot of breaking news, and we have some this afternoon. We are recording this on May 31st, 2013, at roughly 3 o'clock Eastern, uh, which by my estimation is about 7 UTC or 8 UTC, I always forget. Uh, and this one actually involves one of our, our fine guests, Mr. Callis. The IMAX Private Theater. Um, both CE Pro is breaking this as well as this. there's a story in Wall Street Journal. Uh, and if you go to IMAXPrivateTheater.com, you can check it out there as well. Uh, but Moran, since you had a, a I'm not gonna say you had a hand in this. Let's just let's just lay it out there. You had a hand in this, uh, and you've been working on this for some time. Let's let's just take it down. What exactly is the IMAX private theater? Sure. Th- thanks for the opportunity. You know, everybody uh, knows the name IMAX. Uh, IMAX uh, is probably one of the more well-known brands uh, around the world. And IMAX has now developed a solution for the private home. So we're calling it the the IMAX private theater. And uh, my company's role, uh, we've actually been on on a consulting basis with IMAX uh, for approximately uh, two years. Uh, And IMAX has played around with the idea for the better part of a decade of entering the home business. And, uh, you know, my involvement, uh, my partner, Federico Balsoni, along with uh, Theo Kalamarakis, uh, and then Paul Self as a consultant, we've worked with the management team at IMAX over the past several years to develop the product and the go-to-market strategy for this uh, uh, really leading-edge product. Um, and the news, it, it's exciting, you know, when you've worked on something for so long to finally be able to talk about it publicly. Um, the IMAX private theater website went live uh, in May, and uh, on May 3rd, I believe it was Friday, if you Google it, uh, the Hollywood Reporter actually broke uh, the story that Seth MacFarlane, uh, the well-known you know producer and director, the guy from Hollywood, uh, is one of the, the first clients, 
And uh, so at that point, Cat was out of the bag, and uh, the official position from IMAX is just uh, going public today in the Wall Street Journal and in CE Pro, so to the trade. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. All right, so, so walk me through this. I mean, this is, this is not just a, a custom theater, right? I mean, this is, uh, well, it, it is a custom theater, but it's, it's a custom theater built around the IMAX standard, right? That's right. The, the, the theater meets all requirements and specifications as defined by IMAX. In fact, you know, the finished product uh, gets a limited edition plaque stating that it's, you know, one of so many theaters uh, sold globally. You know, we estimate, um, I guess there's different uh, estimates, uh, both here at One Firefly and, and corporately at IMAX, but we suspect we'll sell in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 of these theaters a year. And uh, the electronics package and the screen and the, the interaction and involvement of the engineering team is really what the, the consumer is purchasing. Uh, the, the sticker price is $2.25 million. Um, that, that does include projectors, speakers, electronics, control systems, video and audio processing, and screen. That does not include uh, the seating and the interior you know, uh, materials and, and build-out. Does it include a popcorn machine? You know, uh, I think we might be able to throw one of those in. Wow. But, uh, you're, you know what? Here's the thing. You're, you're right about, and th- there's a line on the IMAX private theater website. Uh, everyone has experienced it. Few will own it. This is a, uh, th- this is a different market, right? This, this, is, a, a, this is not, you know, uh, a, a Best Buy $2,000 flat screen market. No, this is a, a very select group of individuals globally that have, uh, you know, you have to combine a number of factors for one of these to get sold. I mean, obviously, they have to have the means. Yeah. So they have to have the net worth um, to where they can, you know, spend, you know, two or three million dollars on a room in their home and for them to, you know, simply be able to do that. But then you also have to have the enthusiast, you know, the person that enjoys uh, movies, enjoys entertaining their friends and their family. And, um, and th- there also is a, a bit of, I, I think, ego that comes into it. Someone that would want to be one of a very select um, uh, people in the world that, that can have one of these theaters. You know, we've, we've thought of and, and modeled this a bit after the, the concept of the Bugatti Veyron. You know, when they, uh, the manufacturer launched the Bugatti Veyron as a, a car model, uh, you know, it's in the millions of dollars. It, it's an expensive car. And, and the initial thought was that they would perhaps sell a few hundred. And uh, in a very short period of time, they actually had back orders uh, exceeding a thousand for that, you know, million dollar plus car. And so we know that the audience is out there. You know, there are, are you know, more than a thousand billionaires around the world. And there are certainly, uh, you know, uh, many more than that uh, people with net worth, you know, in excess of 50 to 100 million. And those are generally the individuals we see buying these. We also uh, have recently gained corporate approval to place the, the private theater into community uh, developments, such as high rises. Oh, so wow. as long as theaters are not being, tickets are not being sold, um, then we can likely place this theater into a, a high-rise or community development. Wow. Uh, r- real quick, and, and we'll, we'll get on to the rest of the stories. 
can you talk about what's in it? I mean, can you talk about? You mentioned that that the price tag comes with you know it includes the projection and the and the sound and the processing. Can you talk about any of it? Is it all branded IMAX or is there a, spe- a specific brand um, of speaker and, and projector you're using? Now every piece of gear uh, at the end is is labeled IMAX. Okay. There there is no piece of gear in the in the in the solution. Um, from the control processor to the um, the projectors uh, and and beyond that that say another name other than IMAX. Okay. Uh, the majority of the products are, are in-house engineered and manufactured. There are a number, a, a couple of products that are OEM'd and then you know souped up with IMAX special sauce in order to to have them meet the IMAX criteria instead of specifications. Um, all right. Hopefully that answers it. It does. It does. And, and one one last question: Do you think that they will ever show this um, at Infocom or not NAB, but CES or another trade show? And if so, how would they work that? Like, would they build it specifically at, at on the show floor? Sure, that's that's a great question. Um, where we're at right now is uh, IMAX is based in Toronto, uh, Mississauga, uh, uh, up in uh, I believe that's Ontario. Um, and uh, at their at their headquarters, they have the R and D lab where we've already started taking some of our we're calling them partners. These are the integrators that are signed on to both sell and install the IMAX private theater. And we've so we've been able to take them up there to experience the the visual and the audio experience that is IMAX. Um, the next step is to build out the first official demo theater. So that is currently in, in development, and so if, if our partners have would like to take customers to see and experience the real thing, they can take them to Toronto. Uh, and then beyond, we, we have our first live installation um, uh, will be completed this summer in L.A. That's uh, Seth MacFarlane's home. And so uh, I'll just say on a very limited basis uh, and with approvals from both IMAX and, and, the, and the clients' representatives, we'd be able to take clients through that theater as well. Um, there's obviously a lot of approvals that would have to happen and yeah. a very qualified customer would have to be involved. But one thing I, I would like to mention, because there may be folks out there that are interested on, on how they would even get involved, is to please reach out to us or reach out to IMAX and, and let us know if you'd like to be involved as a partner. Um, we have, uh, we're, we're expecting to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 uh, IMAX uh, approved uh, technology partners on board. And these partners have really two roles with IMAX. And that is number one as resellers or as sales agents. So the, the, the sale, the transaction actually takes place between the homeowner and IMAX. So the, the contractor, the integrator, uh, is then has a, a revenue coming to them in, in the form of commissions, installation fees, and service fees. And that touches on then the second role of the partner, and that is installation. So even if IMAX makes the sale directly, which, which that will happen on occasion, then they're still going to be coming to their partners for installation support. Okay, so that's not quite a, a true like integration partner set up like, you know, an AMX or a Lutron. It, it's non-conventional for sure. Yeah. It's very cool. I wish I could spend the whole hour talking about this. but uh, we... It's been fantastically exciting being involved with it. Um, I've been a movie fan since I was, I can remember. And to, to have my firm, you know, be in this position and, and, 
and to see you know the first article come out or the first ad come out in Rob Report last month, uh, it was uh, you know I had to pinch myself just to you know to to, to realize that it was real. And now we're on to the you know the task at hand, which is making this a successful launch and uh, making sales. Well, yeah, now now you actually do have to have to do the work, you know. So this next segment comes to us from episode ninety four, actually a week later, from the CEO show. We had a young man on by the name of Joshua Stackhouse. We were talking about fiber, and suddenly he decides to hijack the show uh, and do what I at least from what I can tell is a podcasting first. He wanted to propose. So, uh, hey, Tim. Yes. Well, while we're talking about Fiberplex, uh, I want to hijack the show for just a second. But uh, Okay. Uh, well, uh, I think I'm going to pull off an AV week first here. Um, but uh, you know, my girlfriend uh, actually happens to work for um, a company that supports Fiber uh, or Fiberplex. And uh, I wanted to take an opportunity today and ask her live in front of the entire Internet audience um nicole i know you listen to every show that i'm on uh i love you more than anyone in the world and my life really started when i met you and i really came alive and you make me feel more wanted than any woman ever has before and uh will you marry me oh she's not listening guys it's okay show's over i'm (laughs) done <laughs> well, there you go. The well, audience is going to be sitting there wondering, wow. well, what did she say? What did she say? Wow. I know, and I'm such a girl. I'm sitting here like tearing up. Like, oh, I'm like, tearing up. Are yes. you kidding me? <laughs> this no. is freaking awesome. Yes. So, well, I guess everyone's going to have to stay tuned to Twitter and see what she says, but I'll let you guys know. Somebody's hire you for marketing, by the way, because that's a great yeah, that's thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AV at I was going to say, yeah. What, what's your Twitter <laughs> handle? <laughs> Stackhouse AV. There we go. Let us know what she says, and hopefully it won't be like the kiss cam I saw the other day. So, you know, where she said no. So, all right. <laughs> I'm sure she'll say now. yes. Don't pitch posh it. Congratulations, guys. Yes, I'm congratulations, sir. That's awesome. My only advice, elope. You don't want to spend the money on a wedding. Amen, Then have a brother. party. Yeah, elope and have a party. This segment comes to us from episode 105, Give Me 3D and My OLED. On the panel was Bradford Ben from Harmon, Michael Drainer of Sennheiser USA, Mark Zekin from Wirestorm, and Michael O'Halloran of Samsung. We were discussing uh, the different technologies, and it was based on a, on a blog post actually uh, comparing OLED and 4K. Uh, in a month from now, Cedia braces and heads to the great uh, mountains of Denver, Colorado. Uh, at the uh, on the AV Network blog this week, um, David King <laughs> brings up a, a good, uh, just a good old fashioned fight, 4K versus OLED, and he says that the the fight is on the horizon. Uh, actually, he uses the word skirmish, um, which yeah, it's a fun one. So here's the question, um, and this is my two cents, and uh, you know this again, I, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm the non manufacturer on the show this week. I don't see 4K versus OLED as a fight, but that's just me. Um, w- but we're going to take it to the to the display guy first, Michael. Um, what sort of 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 con- not controversy, but what what sort of of battle do we have here? Uh, are we are we really pitting 4K versus OLED? 
Oh, I don't think so. Um, you know, <clears throat> first, I just think it's exciting when the market starts to talk about the new technology that's coming out. Uh, this, I think, it, it, it harks a little bit back to beta VHS and Blu-ray and HD DVD. Um, you know, obviously, the technologies have been in development for quite some time. And with the two different lines coming out and being available in the consumer space, um, I think there's lots of enthusiasts for technology and video files that will get on one bandwagon or the other and ultimately we'll we'll see which one uh, the marketplace chooses just like the products I mentioned out front we talked with Gary Yakubian good lord in December of last year he made the comment uh, and I don't so I shouldn't say Gary we had Gary on with a couple other people from from the the CES area um, and I want to say it was Gary that said this he actually likened and, and linked the two together so instead of pitting them against each other he actually said that the success of one is probably going to be tied to the success of the other. Is there, is there any weight to that? I would think so. Um, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the adage that a rising tide lifts all ships. You know, if the marketplace starts to adopt uh, more costly display solutions uh, that you know, work with the technologies that are available out there from our set-top boxes and our Blu-ray plans, as well as what might start to bring us the higher resolution for 4K. Um, I think that if there's options to buy better displays for the home, again, it's that choice of which one you'd like to have. No, no that's true. That's true. Mark, when it comes to uh, 4K and OLED, when it comes to um, you guys do a lot with HD Base T, uh, that's what Wirestorm does. Is this something that you're you're having to watch, or is is HD Base T already there? Are you guys ready for 4K? I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I was baptized in the commercial pro, you know, display business. So um, one thing that's interesting is, um, you know, again, I, I come from the commercial side of the business, so I'm not speaking for our residential folks. Mm -hmm. But um, on the HDBHT side, you know, the the OLED is interesting to me because you know, the power consumption. So. Let's get that power consumption down. Let's get it to 100 watts. Let's get the screen as large as possible so that we can use the full capability of HD based D. I've been trying to do that for, you know, hoping for that for 30 years when I was a projector designer. <laughs> Going to these elaborate, you know, conference rooms and boardrooms, you know, with wood that came from rainforests, uh, you know, and uh, look up and see this albatross cables. Mm -hmm. So um, that is interesting to me. The 4K side of things, um, you know, Detroit wants 4K. Um, the military wants 4K. Uh, as far as the consumers, I know Best Buy's carrying 4K now. I'm not exactly sure uh, what you know, on the residential side what they're watching for, but definitely there's application in commercial industries. Yeah, absolutely. Bradford, when it comes to 4K, are you as excited about it as you are 3D? I'm more excited about 4K than 3D because that was a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> What, what, what has me so disappointed is, I was, is, I'm, is I'm waiting until we talk about the next display where we're talking about I have something saved up for that. So The curved? Okay. The curved display. Okay. I got something saved up all for right, that one with right. 3D. But I am I, – I do agree with, uh, with Mark and Michael a bunch of – there is a lot of advantages to it. I don't think it's a battle of 4K versus OLED because it's kind of like comparing paper versus pencil. You need both. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? It's yes, it's a different display technology. Yes, there are companies out there who have prototypes available that do both. So I think getting the two the two aren't battling each other, they're complementary technologies. I think 4K 
for industrial and commercial applications for command and control centers makes a whole lot of sense. Now that I'm starting to get used to the higher resolution with retina displays on Macs, I'm seeing the 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 difference that a higher density and a higher image quality can do. I do think the challenge for the home market is getting content. Uh, I also think that the cable and broadband broadband providers are going to find it a challenge to get that good content to the set set top box and not have, you know, as many artifacts in terms of compression and still getting a good 4k image. But I do see it having, having some valid, the, the energy efficiency of the, of the OLED, I think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm not sure if when people are going out and plunking down 10 grand on TV that they're thinking about a hundred dollars versus $500 in power just because I don't, I don't think anyone else does, but I could be wrong. Oh, that, that, so, might, that might be valid, actually. You know, they're not thinking about the, the long-term consumption cost because, let's be honest, a lot of us don't think about that unless they're looking at the little energy sticker uh, when but, they buy the refrigerator. Now, I do say for the commercial environment, that's a much bigger deal. You know, people are thinking about it practically. Here at home, I think people aren't as involved in thinking about it because they just think my air conditioner costs me more than anything else. What's the rest of this do? <laughs> That's true. But I do think that the big challenge is, as we've always talked about, you got to have content to drive someone home to to see it. You know, what I mean, to to spend that money at home for the commercial market, it's a it's a good it's a good win. Mike, I know you were expecting a bigger rant. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> you you'll save your rant for your 3D. Uh, Mr. Draney, you, you not only you work for Sennheiser now, but you're, you got a history in broadcast. And you and I have you've you've schooled me for a lot of years on trying to get high high bandwidth down uh, satellite lines and down cable lines. Bradford brought up a very good point about the content for for 4K. Where are we going to get this? Unless it's it is really just a a, a version of Blu-ray that can do 4K. I mean, that's a, that's a very valid point. And, and my question is, where are we at on the development of the advanced compression algorithms to be able to s facilitate this delivery? You know, in the commercial space, it's a little bit different environment. A lot of times you're generating that content on site, with its, uh, whether it's command and control, you're doing composite type uh, imaging and, and uh, multi-window display graphics, things along those lines. Uh, but in the residential space, it's a whole different animal. And delivering that high resolution in the bandwidth that we currently have available in the existing infrastructure and do it reliably and well, that, that to me is going to be the, the uh, challenge in the foreseeable future. Now, obviously, carriers and service providers are always working to improve the next best greatest thing. I just haven't seen it yet. So I'm anxious to see where that goes. Okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm excited about OLEDs. Yeah. I mean, but I, I do think Mr. Drainer brought up a good point. It's the next generation compression because if someone's spending that much on a big TV, they're going to want good good media, and I think that there's some computing horsepower that needs to catch up mm -hmm. to make that good compression worthwhile and fast enough that people can uh, can deal with it. You know, if it's a five minute lag on a baseball game. It's not acceptable. It's a five-second lag. It's acceptable. Okay, so so again, educate me here, guys, because my whole understanding is, if you're if you're looking at a cable box or a satellite box, you're not getting 1080p. I mean, yeah, it might be you know compressed and then maybe up converted. Well, once. let me let's let's clarify something though. When we're talking compression, we're not talking resolution. 
Okay. 1080p yeah. is resolution. Okay. It's, it's resolution and refresh and all the things that yes. go into yes, displaying the picture. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the compression rate and how we're dealing with the color saturation and the and the uh, um, how we're we're sampling the motion and the imaging and things like that, so that we can conserve bandwidth in the transmission phase. Okay. So that that's really where the limitation is that I see at this standpoint. Now, our friends at Samsung, have you guys seen anything uh, coming down the pipe that's going to help facilitate this a little bit better? Well, <clears throat> I have not myself with uh, the limited spoke scope that I have on the products that I support. Um, if we um, maybe we recommend that <laughs> we invite one of the folks from our set top box team to join in the near future to see if they might be able to speak to that a little bit better. No, that would be really good. And it, and it kind of goes into the you know what Mark's doing with the HD base T stuff because in, in last week's show, we were talking about the the home distribution and what's happening in the yeah, residential 2.0. market mm-hmm. with HD base T 2.0 and how the service providers are going to potentially start rolling this out from the set-top box to in-home distribution, and then we're going to have the the, um, local satellite company or cable company deploying the home AV solution. You know, that's great if we can facilitate that on the HD-based T side, but, boy, we really need that transport mechanism to get it to the home-prem. Yeah, absolutely. Transport's the key for anything. You know, even once you get it into the house, getting it around your house, all that fun stuff, if... If it's not easy, if it takes a smart person like Tim to do it, you know, <laughs> you, you, you might be in trouble. Case, you might be in trouble. Then, you know, is it going to be adopted? You know, for better or for worse, you look at how how well adopted Apple TV is and TiVo. It's because it's easy, not because it's it's necessarily the best picture quality. Yeah, I was at NAB this year, and was, I thought it was interesting as the. Um, the origination for 4K. I mean, that was what the show was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the prices for for the, you know, the camera, the camera costs, are just plummeting. Well, and and that's just native origination, right? So that's right. doing native right. native bandwidth, native origination, native bit rates. Now we get into the delivery. Boy, I mean, I remember we were doing satellite uplinks, and you know, this was not that awful long ago. With HD video, you know, we're pushing it down at 20 meg a second. Um, in, in master control, but then trying to squeeze that down to four megasecond. And, you know, we had really good algorithms, but boy, it just didn't look the same coming out of master control um, versus the sat feed. So, I, you know, I think that people are making these big investments and they like what they see, but I think it's up to the manufacturing community and the service providers to make sure that we're able to deliver as real of an experience as possible to support that. Yeah, that's, that's valid. Yeah. Um, Moving on, and we're going to keep on displays for a second here. Uh, from HDTV Magazine, Samsung, or actually, the, I should use the whole the uh, the whole uh, title line. Uh, guess what, LG? Samsung's got a 55-inch curved OLED too. <laughs> so, shouldn't that be also? I, I didn't write well. it. Don't stop. You know what? This is not an English show. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jeez. that one was for Linda. It was a. For, Oh, I miss Linda. Linda. Yeah, she was great. Yeah. Um, So, Michael, (laughs) you guys have a curved OLED. Um, As well. As well. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) Bradford Ben. Um, The first question, I I guess, and it's the same one that I asked LG when when we started talking to them about it, is why? Well, that is a great question. Um, And again... (laughs) I learned a lot about the developments from the consumer electronics side the same way that just about everybody else does. 
Um, and then I wait a year or two for them to become commercially hardened gotcha. and transferred into a commercial lineup that I then get to start to represent and know the ins and outs of. Um, from a little bit of my previous life, um, which was in um, residential AV home theater design, um, there was some screen technologies that were starting to come out with that curve because from the perspective of where you sit, uh, you have a better view of the curved screen and then you do the flat rectangle uh, fixed to the wall. So real quickly, I, I, I apologize because I, I don't mean to keep kidding you with, with, with uh, residential stuff. Uh, is this something that you could see being used in a commercial application then? Um, I think what we might see would be a commercial availability of OLED, but I don't think the curve would come with that. Okay. Just because the broad deployment of the products are in digital signage and in, in visual communications. And, um, I, you know, the there's even ADA compliances that we struggle to meet with some of our previous CCFL models displays, which is where we, we go now with our edge lit. Uh, so to have something that intentionally curves from the wall, I don't see it being a, a great commercial fit personally. What sort of ADA problems do you have with with the display? I'm sorry. Um, well, the depending, it, it, you ha the previous versions of like CCFL displays, uh -huh. that could be up to four inches thick and then put onto a bracket. Uh, um, there were ADA issues about things mounted on walls in places like hospitals uh, that they were only allowed to come so far from the wall so that they wouldn't interfere with people coming down the hallways. Oh, okay. Um, so going to edge lit displays with slim profile brackets, um, you know that that's where we're now installing in those those types of situations. Mm, that, that makes see, sense. But, see, now I disagree a little bit, and I know I'm not the video guy, but I'm thinking about. A command and control center where you have a 55 inch screen with you know four images on it and one person looking at it and you want to curve it towards that person so that they don't have to turn their head as much and I know 55 inches sitting six feet in front of you would seem nuts but you know 10 years ago a 27 inch TV sitting 10 inches in front of you would seem nuts as well so I wonder if that type of usage in the commercial environment would make sense for the curved wall so that it it envelops you a little more, especially also for uh, simulators. Mm. Yeah, the, the curve is uh, uh, it, the the marketing as immersive, right? They're using the word yep. immersive. Yeah. So the commercial the commercial marketplace is looking for immersive environments. There's a couple of uh, really great integrators out there. Mechdyne is one uh, in Iowa, Marshalltown, Iowa, Iowa, and they can they can create with a series of projectors a complete immersive environment. You know. Cave, these caves and such hmm. um, and then you know on the other side of it in the consumer side I remember when I was first selling panels for sharp I mean the, the widescreen experience really doesn't start until you get to what about a 30 inch size screen and, uh, and someone mentioned the distance to the screen too so I think that I think that's what they're trying to get to is more of an immersive environment we have you're more you know, you're, you're getting that full HD um, experience. Full, you know. So, so can I have a in, in Bradford? This is one just for you, my friend. I want a curved OLED, OLED with 3D. I'll just come over and poke you in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. For, th for those that don't know, we we have this great. Um, 
I'm not going to say a hatred, it's a love, but, but hate it's relationship a, with, with 3D. 3D. Yes, we love yes. to hate it. Yes. Um, actually, Bradford, this is something where where you could actually do 3D well if it's curved. I mean, and actually, the one that had me interested was reading the article of the of the uh, the fact that it can use the shutter display to show two different images to two different people. Just like what 3D does, of one on each eye, but yep. now you can have two different people watching it. I'm just trying to figure out who gets to decide what they listen to. Well, yeah. The, but I do see. Just, we can hook them up with some multi channel IR systems. No, not a problem. Okay. But <laughs> the, uh, I'm just picturing me and my wife getting into a fight over who gets to listen to the audio, but that's a whole other debate. She but, does. Come on. Yeah. Don't <laughs> Very nice. Very well no, done. Glasses that are pairing with this, uh, from what I understand, the uh, the second viewer's glasses would have a pair of earbuds to deliver the audio with it as well. Hmm, that's Very cool. Nice. I would just turn on closed captioning. But I, I think that the three... That's because that's because you're the only deaf audio guy I know. What? Oh, jeez. <laughs> but the, uh, the 3D thing, and to, to be a little fair, is mainly because of with my eyesight, I don't see 3D no matter how much money they spend on it. So to me, it's just a waste of extra data, which, you know, I save all my electrons. I still think it's just fancy, uh, fancy uh, copy protection. Well, you, but that's uh, Tim's opinion also. Well, it is. I mean, you and Michael have both have, I don't know if you have the same eye condition, but he has the same situation where he can't see 3D very well, right. if at all. And it's good Lord, this has been Infocom like five years ago. Mm -hmm. He and I are standing at the 3D pavilion, shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> and I can see it fine and he can't see it at all. And I'm like, well, good Lord, you know, if they can't get two random people, you know, the same algorithm to, to, to affect two, two random people... You now know. I do I do think having the curved wall or the curved display gives it a better chance because mm -hmm. in theory if you're sitting in the focus of that parabola or curve your distance to the screen would be much more consistent and in theory could work better and I've seen that in a couple of theme park attractions and it does play better but I'm still not sure that it's everything that Mr. Drainer is trying to bait me into. <laughs> well, it probably isn't. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Um, but it is. You know, here's the thing. You're probably right, Bradford, when it comes to some of the commercial applications. Because, you know, I still remember watching War Games when I was a kid. And the giant. Would you like to play a game? The giant video wall uh, right. that they had up there. I mean, that's. Granted, we've come a long way from, you know, the 1980s. Uh, and, and what was his name? Joshua. 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 Yeah. Joshua. Whopper. Yeah, very nice. 4K seemed to be a theme in 2013. This segment comes to us from episode 115 with Sam Malik from ASK Proxima, Ted Green from the Stratacon Group, and Kevin Iselli from Crestron Electronics. We were discussing the brand new Sony 4K camcorder, which gives basically 4K content creation to the masses. This is from AV Network. Sony brings 4K content creation to the masses. Did you hear that, Mr. Iselli? Woo! 4K. I'm sorry. I'm not paying attention. The PXWZ100 4K camcorder. That's right, kids. You can make your home movies in 4K. Sorry, what was the price of that device? It's a camcorder. <laughs> 6500 bucks. Yeah. Which is not, it's a slightly more than the Z1U about seven, eight years ago, which was. You there. just need two credit cards instead of oh, one. Yeah. I was, 
saying I have like five or six of those just laying around doing nothing. Jeez. <laughs> okay, but it's a it's a start. It's a at least give me it's a start. It's a st. Oh, come on. <laughs> the biggest the biggest knock and Kevin and I have had this conversation on on air and off uh, that about 4K is the fact that there's no content. Here's content. Here is honest to goodness homemade content. Is it oh, not? I didn't say there wasn't content. You can go to YouTube and get content right now. You can download it. You can't stream it. Well, oh, you think you're going to be able to stream 4K? Eventually. That's a different story altogether, <laughs> my friend. It's a, eventually. Uh, hey, hang on. Hang on. 1999, you were not going to be able to stream 1080p, right? You weren't going to be able to stream HD content. And now you can stream HD content. Right? Sure. Okay. All I can say is, Mom, better get that mole removed oh, and, her, nice. mu- and her, her mustache waxed <laughs> oh. before you start talking yeah. about that. Yeah, very good point. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you know, you're right, Tim. I mean, we, you and I have had this discussion many times. Um, you know, when looking at, especially display technology, you know, my hang-up is I've always been more upset the fact that everyone has seemed to have bypassed or is putting OLED off to the side just so they can dangle the next carrot of resolution of 4k in front of you where you know i'm i i and you know how i feel i i said let's take this new oled technology which provides us with a, a an absolute myriad of new mm-hmm. opportunities and and it seems like most display companies have just kind of just said yeah okay whatever 4k and, and I would I would agree with you. One thing though that some analysts and some industry people are saying, especially in the consumer electronics industry, is why don't we marry the two? Similar to where HD uh, and flat panels were married in the early two thousands. Oh why yeah. Don't, why don't we marry four K to OLED and like push them together at the same time? Would that make sense? Yeah, that'd be that would make the the, the best sense, if you will. Uh, but I think maybe it's more of a business decision to say hey let's get you first into a 4k and then let's turn you on to a new technology display technology um what i like uh, honestly is i've seen a couple of these displays at the box houses with the sony 4k the you know the the display and and it's not that that cracks me up it's it's actually the movies that's promoting underneath it the digitally remastered 4k (laughs) which is is quite humorous because you know tim you're broadcasting we, we kind of both had a similar upbringing you know in the film industry you're if you were to rasterize let's say you're you're 35 mil you're well above 4k mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they're saying that they've taken the source con- material brought it down to 4k and then mastered it off of that yet when you look at every one of these blu-rays they still say making the ultimate of your 1080p video right it's it's still outputting 1080p yeah so most people are looking at the saying hey i'm getting a 4k blu-ray and no you're not no you're not yeah no. so they're stepping down the resolution to match oh, it at that level well, yeah, if they're yeah. if, like kevin said if, if you're taking the original solenoid if you're taking the original film or whatever it is that you shot this on and you master it in 4k quote unquote you're you're busting it down you're you're wow. reducing the resolution wow <laughs> yeah, because it's like over 600 DPI or such if you're doing film, so you're you're well in. incredible. Well, is it is it the six like you would say the six or eight K 
and beyond actually what, for film. Yeah, but what is it? it was, I don't remember if it was a, one of your DM classes or another uh, something else I, I read somewhere where they compared and they, it was just a, it was a graph. It was a beautiful graph. Yeah. The 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 actual picture size, the original resolution uh, in picture size between you know they started with with four um, four eighty. And then they raised it all the way up to 8K, and, and good lord, I mean, 480 is down here as a postage stamp, and, and, and 8K is a is a semi trailer. I, I love how they do that, though. They always talk about resolution and compare it to size. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, but it, you can't do that, right? You can't, what? but it, it makes it makes sense to people. Are you saying right. size doesn't matter? <laughs> what I hear. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, this no, is it's the it's the the. the um, analogies we've always seen or the charts we've always seen where they show you know a, a four three image and then a, a 16.9 and then a two three five and and they keep sh- they keep blowing it up like you get to see more of the image almost like you're looking through you're like you're vignetting your 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 video right like i can't see what's all there but if i had more resolution i could see behind me but yeah right? that's true yeah that's how they present this it's like no you're only still going to see what the what the device is capturing it doesn't expose more than what's already there but you understand but yeah, they, <laughs> yeah you, you understand, understand why they do it yeah sense. because well no, bigger uh, is better. bigger better but sometimes our brains and our our you know uh, you know, I don't know why it is, but a lot of times it's just easier for people to understand it that way. I mean, you're, in essence, what we're saying is there's more information, right? There's more information in an 8K dis- in an 8K screen or an 8K display than or, or source than there is in a 480. Um, there's the same information; it's broken down into smaller bits. Okay. Is the file size bigger? Absolutely. So it's but bigger. That's because right. you broke it down into smaller bits. So it is bigger. Oh. It's a bigger Ted. spreadsheet. You just don't have to scroll to see it. There you go. That's all. Yep. We're done here. <laughs> Ted, is this a good thing, the fact that we're getting uh, homemade 4K, or is, is Kevin right the $6,500 price tag is a bit is a bit? Um, you know, I was, at the, uh, I was at a Sony event where they rolled out their 3D TVs, and then they turned around and, and tried to convince us that it, 3D was going to be the next big thing. Because they, at the same time, rolled out 3D camcorders, and they also rolled out or announced uh, 3D digital cameras. So um, I'm not sure that, you know, that was their same pitch was, look, now we have, we'll have, you know, millions of people creating 3D content, and it'll help sell 3D. And it didn't seem to really matter. It didn't help 3D at all. I kind of get what you're saying, and, you know, there's... You know, there's no question that as we do these format changes, we get into these chicken and egg scenarios where, uh, you know, the content creators want to see a large installed base of uh, displays and, the, you know, the displays can't sell because there's no content. And so, you know, arguably this will uh, this will help. But um, I think 4K has a better chance of success only because it's a little more easily understandable by the average consumer. Um, but you know, um, I don't know if it's going to help. It's, uh, we got to wait for the, uh, you know, we got to wait for the, um, replacement cycle to kick in before there's going to be an appreciable uptick in display sales. Hang on for a second, Ted. You think that it's more, it's more easily understood than to, to the average consumer? The fact that they, the the fact that they started with 4k and also UHD TV, which is not quite 4k. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that I, I, I think that I think that sometimes what we we do these things in our industry, you know, we dumb it down. There's a 50 watt amplifier. There's a 100 watt amplifier. So you know, the consumer can kind of categorize in his mind. Okay. Um, and and so you know, 4K um, is uh, a little bit easier. You know, the 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 juxtaposition between uh, HD and then 4K is a little easier for them to grasp. I'm not going to say they understand all the intricacies of what that means, um, but is a little bit easier for them to understand than say like OLED, which is a completely different technology and and is, you know, it's a great technology, but requires a lot more explanation. It's a little mm. harder for the consumer to grasp what that means. This is my two cents. You don't have to explain OLED to them. Just show it to them. Just show it to them. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> Holy well, you know, you also, cow! The, the 4K in the camera, though, Tim. Also, and and Ted's right, but I, I think we also have to look at what does this mean by having readily available 4K cameras, or you know, the ability to get these devices to capture the content. It was actually you, Tim, that sent me an article about the broadcast community saying that our infrastructure is nowhere ready for this. Meaning broadcast, yes, right, mm-hmm. right. You are that's not correct. Broadcast 4K. So what are we? What are we actually doing by propagating a 4K world? Are we basically looking to the broadcast community and say, "Thanks for coming. We'll take it from here." Yes, and yes, Japan, you are. Japan, right now is testing an 8K system. Yeah, J- Japan has already brought. They have technically broadcast OTA over the air, 8K. Yeah, now, they're testing it right now. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Cameron shooting his next yet? movie in 8K right now. Wow. What'd you say, Kevin? Has anybody done 2K yet? No. <laughs> they just bypassed <laughs> it. Now, here's the thing. To, to Kevin's point more directly, yes, that is exactly what we're saying. And, and understand that's a bigger question than you're ask, that, that you're asking. Unfortunately, broadcasters, people who own sticks, who, people who own uh, broadcast towers, have the potential of being left behind because you have the next great transport and that is the internet that's what we're all talking on now that's how people are getting this program and in i don't know if it's three years or five years or if it's 10 years but there's going to come a point in time when owning a broadcast tower and three bucks will get you a starbucks you know where it won't matter the fact that you have a broadcast tower or a broadcast license because people will be able to do just that buy a 4k camera produce it and and shoot it down the internet at a higher quality than what people can get over the air or over the cable. And when that happens, yes, we'll say, thank you for getting us from he- from here. Thank you for un- Uncle Milty, and I love Lucy, and we'll see you next time. But you also have to remember we're, we're also relying on that infrastructure, that in, that wonderful you know series of tubes we have to be able to support this. No, we're not, we I mean, won't be, it, though. It's, yeah, but you're also saying that, well, I'm sorry, what I'm looking at is, as a potential issue is that you have to plan to watch the 5 o'clock uh, evening news at 10.30 when it's down downloading or at least has buffered enough so that you can watch it. But here's the thing. You, you, you don't have to do that now. They right, do because it. this is not a real-time. <laughs> well, no, but you, you, there are, I mean, the, my local uh, NBC affiliate, you can watch it. You can stream it from your, from your tablet or you can stream it from uh, a number of, of Internet-enabled devices while it's happening live. So I can do that, or I can you know download it later and, and, and stream or stream it later rather, stream it on demand. So, Make sure you're looking at that quality that you're receiving, though. 
I'll get. We can but that's what I'm saying. Yes. If we're going, if we're going to 4K, yes. Think of it like a, from a standpoint of a purist. If I want 4K, I want 4K. I don't want you to tell me I'm you. I can watch 4K or we're recording in 4K, but I'm getting the 720 stream. And then we can have a conversation about whether or not the con- the consumer can tell the difference between 720 and 1080. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's looking at it on a smartphone. So 4K yes. is going to be obviously 30 times better than 720. Oh, obviously, right. obviously, <laughs> Sam, do you want to, do you want to chime in on this 4K Sorry, at all, <laughs> or do we can, can we move on as uh, from here? Finally, as we wrap up the best of 2013, let me take a moment and say, uh, on a personal note, thank you so much for continuing to listen, continuing to download, sharing uh, the content with your friends and even your enemies. Uh, we appreciate it. All of us here do um, at AV Nation and. And the work that we do, we appreciate you going to the website, reading the blogs, reading the posts, retweeting and all that. Um, this year has been an interesting year. Uh, we've hit a milestone. We had our 100th episode, and that was that was something kind of neat, a, a chance to look back and, and see where we've gone and maybe where we're going. 2014 looks to be an interesting year uh, for AV Nation, so stay tuned. Um, if you'd like to uh, find out more about us and about what we do for the uh, AV industry, go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and a prosperous 2014. Thanks.